I'm Adam Bolka, and this is The Great Supply Chain Podcast. I'll be talking to supply chain experts from around the world, experts who are tackling challenges in their corner of the industry. People are change makers that drive innovation. That's why this supply chain podcast is about learning from those who lead by example. I hope that the conversations you hear will inspire you to drive change within your organization. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the Great Supply Chain Podcast. I'm Adam Polka, and today we're going to be talking about resiliency in the supply chain and what that really means when it comes to high cost of failure operations like healthcare. In order to chip away at this massive topic, I'm joined by my co-host for the day, Guy Courtin. How are you, Guy? I'm doing well, Adam. I'm glad to be back. Looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. And to do that, we've got a great guest with us today, a supply chain evangelist with over three decades of supply chain know-how, Joe Dudas. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. Nice to be here. A little primer for those who don't know you, Joe. As the Executive Vice President of Operations at Inspirity Health Partners and Division Chair at the Mayo Clinic, Joe has a keen pulse on innovation and planning in supply chains all with the patient's needs as his top priority. Joe has a wealth of knowledge and experience in navigating the complexities of supply chains where there is a high cost of failure. So we look forward to our conversation with him to talk about disrupted inventory, some common misconceptions, and volatility, all while getting a glimpse into Guy and Joe's ProMat 2023 on-floor seminar with Nabil Maluli from DHL which is titled No Room for Error, How to Manage Critical Supplies When Failure is Not an Option. So, Guy and Joe, let's get into it. Now, Joe, I hate to kick things off by mentioning COVID, but here we are. It was just such an inflection point for supply chain in general and the healthcare supply chain in particular. I wonder, would you be able to take just a couple of minutes to walk us through what that inventory disruption looked like from your vantage point, overseeing that end-to-end supply flow across a hospital network. I would start by saying that most hospitals, including ourselves, we were already struggling in a supply chain that was riddled with uh, back orders and, and supply disruptions. When COVID hit, it was kind of, you know, amplified um, everything that we were already seeing. So most of us were already, you know, looking at shortages, um, you know, drug shortages, for example, were well publicized, but we were having issues in our supply chain uh, well before we started. We were quite fortunate um, in some ways that we were already focused on this problem. Um, and we had just launched probably just a couple of years ago, a few initiatives that gave us a, a head start. We kind of saw things coming with COVID, uh, got on the line with our suppliers. We had asked them what was going on in China. They told us it was legit. And so we started preparing a couple of months ahead of um, probably most of the most of the rest of the hospitals in, in the marketplace. But like I said, we were already a supply chain that was really struggling with disruption and supply chain issues. When COVID hit, it just was a major amplification and a lot of shift in demand from everyday procedures to to basic care. To be honest with you, a lot of 
things were happening in the marketplace itself that you know made it a lot worse. A lot of new players entered into the scene, um, trying to meet demands. Some legit, some not legit. Government entities starting to enter in and uh, try to help. Um, in many cases. You know, the helpers didn't help so much. They probably made things worse. Joe, that's really interesting. You sort of talk about the, I guess, the unintended consequences of some of the efforts you guys were making. When you look back at this, right, and you think about what were some of the efforts you were started to work on before COVID and what were some of that were maybe accelerated by it? Can you share the audience, though? What were some of some of the misconceptions or the 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 new truths maybe that you uncovered as you went through COVID and you dealt with some of these back-end supply chain issues that you were already dealing with before, but all of a sudden now they're amplified. What were some of the lessons from that? What were some of the things that you uncovered uh, that you otherwise, maybe COVID wouldn't have hit, wouldn't have shown you, or that you had overlooked? I think probably what I would say uh, to that is, is that um, I think we were still a little bit hoping that um, supply chain disruption would eventually um, kind of take care of itself and um, would kind of come back into line as to how things were years ago. And I think we kept thinking we were going to somehow work our way out of this. And like I said, things would go back to normal, you know, eventually. And I think what COVID probably signaled to us is these problems weren't going away. And as a matter of fact, um, things that we were treating as incidental, we started to relook at that and think, okay, how do we design these new requirements into our supply chain so that we could deal with them better? So two things I can think of, and I hope I'm answering your question, but two things in particular that I can think of is we brought up um, 80,000 square foot of um, storage space within I think two weeks it was, and uh, and probably filled it in another two weeks with critical supplies. Um, so you know one of the, you know one of the things you can do to protect against risk is of course you know build inventory. And so we took the opportunity and built inventory for our critical supplies. You know, I don't think we ever had the intent uh, that that would be permanent uh, when we first did it, but. When we reflect back at COVID, what we recognized is, is that we probably should have had that long ago. Um, and so what we did is we redesigned our entire distribution network um, with more of a, uh, a node feeding a node kind of philosophy. And we put in um, a, a critical inventory node so that we could do that once for the entire network as opposed to you know, everybody fending for themselves. The other thing we did is organizationally. Um, you know, we used to pull a cross-functional team together um, as needed uh, when we had issues. What we decided to do, and, and many people refer to that, what their command centers look like during COVID. Um, we went ahead and created an organizational function that's sustained, that that's what they do now. You know, they manage shortages and back orders on a day-to-day -day basis, and they work across our entire supply chain to rebalance on a continual basis. 
And so what we decided is, is that we better get good at this. If we're, if we're to meet the needs of our practice, you know, it's not a problem that's going away. And, and so we actually designed in those things that we did kind of spur of the moment when COVID hit uh, into sustaining operations and actually folded it in so that it was more efficient and made for a more resilient supply chain. I wouldn't say we're done. You know, we'll continue to innovate and continue to develop in these areas, but we're not really planning for supply disruption to go away. So that's interesting. I know we talked about this before uh, when we were discussing this podcast. And what I'm hearing, which I think is really interesting, Joe, is that you guys took a lot of initiatives you had to put in place to survive what was happening and you standardized them, right? You've made them now part of your daily processes. And as you said, the idea of, well, the supply chain will take care of itself and we'll go back to air quotes here, you know, back to normal or the new normal. It sounds like you guys realize, well, wait a minute, there's no such thing. Disruption is the only normal. Disruption is the only constant. Now, hopefully not on a global scale, but at some level, disruption will always be there. So therefore, how do we standardize some of these processes we put in place to deal with this and now keep that as a constant in order to figure out when we do have volatility, we do have disruption, that we've basically set up the the base, the foundation, the standards for you guys to react to that. So would you say when you think about this, and I think you had a great point in in our prep, right, that a lot of people look at things like healthcare and they see what they see on television and it's just this, everybody's hair is on fire and we're running around trying to solve the problem and Within the 30 or 45 or 60 minute episode at the last minute, we solve it all. And great. We move on to the next one. But the reality is that all the standardization, the prep, what you guys do beforehand is what makes it so that there is no craziness as much as we see. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you mentioned two really interesting things you guys have sort of standardized on. When you look forward to like, what else do you guys think you will work on from that perspective? Like, what are you seeing that you will need to also adapt um, to deal with future volatility? Um, I do think that that's a big misperception of healthcare is, is that it's this, everything comes in through the ER. And um, similar to anything um, probably in, uh, in business or in life in general, um, the first thing you do when you have a crisis is you seek to stabilize, right? And that's the same thing that we do too. Um, when a patient presents, you know, through the emergency room, the first thing we want to do is we want to stabilize them. Almost everything else, all major course of care, it's something that's scheduled. Um, and, um, and there are actually very few emergency procedures. They're very well disciplined, very well planned out, and quite frankly, um, relatively predictable. Um, So um, we actually use two models within our supply chain. One is a, what we call a manufacturing model where, you know, we schedule procedures, they have bills and materials, everything that's needed is, you know, at, in the procedural room at the time of care. Um, that's all carefully planned out and carefully conducted. Um, and then the other model that we have is in our nursing rooms where it's a replenishment model. But those are mostly consumables to care for recovery and um, some pretty basic supplies. So that's pretty much you know how our supply chain works. So 
like I said, you know, we want to make sure that our patients are um, in good shape and, and healthy because procedurals are usually pretty disruptive to your to your normal health. So it's it's actually a little bit of a misnomer, I think, sometimes. You know, as people are watching TV, people are flying in from the emergency room and you know, and it, it does happen. Um, there are emergency procedures, but by and far the minority of what we deal with. Um, most of everything we do is is really well planned out as you would want if you were a patient. I was going to say, Joe, and unfortunately um, for all of us here, there's no primetime show showing us running a supply chain smoothly, having stuff ready to go in the OR, no craziness, right? We know there's craziness, but it's, it doesn't make for good TV. It's, it, it's actually, you're right, it's actually very well controlled and very orderly as you might expect. As a and, and we would hope, and I agree with that. So yep. a couple of things you touched upon, which I think is, is really interesting. You, you talked about, obviously, controlling for that volatility because yes we see it on the tv show but that's not the reality but there is still some you talked about obviously getting as you mentioned like in the nurse it's about a replen so it's about that supply side and also you're mentioning you know from the demand side right we as patients are the ones that are demanding these services right so if we think about you know how volatility impacts the supply chain we, we think about this sort of golden triangle of healthcare, right supply demand volatility how should healthcare professionals really approach balancing these three, you know, drivers of their business? Like, how do you go about, uh, you know, dealing with it? And and talk to us a little bit about: is it something that changes, you know, month to month, week to week, day to day, or is it something you guys plan for holistically and then you adapt? Can you give some, give us, shed some light on that. Yeah, generally speaking, you know, um, you know, we plan according to our capacity and our demand. Um, and generally, those things that you mentioned, we seek to optimize all, all, all three kind of legs of the stool so that we could run as efficiently as possible. And when something kind of goes haywire, we basically leverage the other two sides of the stool. So for example, um, I talked about building inventory. We will hold inventory if we need to. We'll hold excess inventory if we need to. Then we'll seek to kind of rebalance the equation as much as we can. Something kind of went out of whack and we'll, we'll seek to rebalance it. Same thing uh, goes, and quite frankly, one of the primary um, levers that we pulled when we were in COVID is, um, is demand. Uh, we went into conservation mode and um, we had great cooperation with really focusing on you know, who really needed the product the most and prioritizing it and, and looking for alternatives where it wasn't a priority. So, you know, so conservation, you know, in order to manage demand for a short period of time is, is a big lever. Um, and like I said, I think, you know, the reason we got through, you know, what we got through, we didn't get all the supplies that they didn't exist. Um, so we had to figure out, you know, how to make do with what we had. Don't get me wrong. We went out and sourced as much as we could, but you know, if you if you ask me what got us through the problem, it would have been conservation. Um, we changed the demand pattern and reprioritized and made sure that the highest priorities were met first, and then we looked for substitutes for the others. I think we're always seeking to kind of balance, you know, the various factors, and um, and then when one goes out of whack, we we kind of lean on the other uh, for a short period of time, and then we do what we can to get it back under control again. 
do you think out of those three, is there one that you find is harder to control? I mean, the demand side, I think, is interesting when you mentioned, right, you controlled it. But part of that, I would argue, is we were in a pandemic. So I think people accepted that we had to control some of this. Yeah. These these days, it's the supply, it's the inventory side that probably is the is the most difficult. Um, you know, you get um, fluctuations in in patient demands from time to time. Particularly, like I said, when you have a pandemic, you know, you know everybody's focused on the service lines that are affected, so those kind of get out of whack. But um, but I'd say by and large, day to day, you know, I I talked to a group recently and. You know, if you hear of a problem in the supply chain, it likely affects us. Um, plastics, you bet. Transportation, you bet. Elastics, glass, metals, um, gases, you know, it, it all hits us because um, when you think of a healthcare organization, we consume such a broad, diverse set of products that just about any disruption in supply chain is going to have going to show up in the healthcare industry it seems that way at least to to us uh, so like i said before i think what we have found is um, uh, and what you're probably getting at is one of the things that we've had to really focus on is speed agility and speed um, so in a lot of cases you know we're doing the same thing we used to, but a lot better, a lot faster, um, and we've we've built a whole lot more flexibility. And and you might mm -hmm. ask how we're doing that. Mm -hmm. And I would say that um, our our digital supply chain, which was kind of our next generation, we were already started on that before COVID hit as well. And really, the philosophy was to push the tools and the talent as close to the problem as possible. Um, so having these centralized groups that kind of managed IT or managed the capabilities or managed our analytics um, really was not, you know, working real well because, you know, it was a constraint. You know, if you have a single body that's supplying something, it becomes constrained eventually, particularly if the demands are high. So what we did is we moved all those tools closer to the problem, um, closer to the function. And so that has really given us a lot more flexibility and a lot more speed. Um, we solve problems so much faster than what we used to. That's interesting you said, Joe, because you also talked about the need for like a centralized command center. But now you're also talking about pushing this digital tool to the edges. Yeah. How do you balance that, right? Because one part I get, like you want that centralized command and control because you want to have that overall visibility. But then you want the people on the ground, right, at the edges to be able to act quickly, be agile, have that speed. How are you guys, yep. you know, dealing with sort of, you know, because when it's both counterintuitive a little bit, but how are you guys dealing or how do you guys manage that? It, yeah, and instead of, it, it's interesting because there's certain things that when they become in very high demand, what we do is we'll kind of shift from providing that service to enabling it. And, it, and it's a subtlety with words, but, um, and then you have to design in the controls that you need. Uh, don't control what you don't have to control, first of all. Um, so don't control out of fear, but control out of need. Um, and then put the appropriate controls in place. So I'll give you a really simple example. Our analytics are, 
our go-to is to enable. Uh, enable the functions to do their own analytics as opposed to having a central service that creates the analytics for them. But what we, what we do is we put some controls in place to A, to support them. Um, so instead of having a centralized team, we have a community or an ecosystem or a network. And we manage the network. And then we might have some, um, some guidelines or some roles that say, for example, if you're going to do something outside of your group, there needs to be peer review within the network and publishing. So we don't stop it. We don't, we don't necessarily put hard controls in place, but we govern it instead of controlling it and then, and or serving it from a single organization. And like I said, we've done that with a lot of things. Um, our systems management, we used to have a central systems management, um, for example, that managed the Texas system is a good example in that. And we have diffused that out to the actual operation as opposed to having a central team. Um, same thing with our um, same team used to manage our ERP. Um, and we're diffusing as much as that as we possibly can and really bringing the talent up across the board. Because like I said, we really need you know, the tools, the technology, and the talent all as close to the problem as possible so that we have the agility and speed to solve problems in real time as opposed to, you know, some sort of intake process where, you know, we're prioritizing. You know, that, that model just doesn't work real well anymore. So this is really interesting because you've mentioned this, this notion, right? You're trying to adapt, you're adjusting speed, right? Flexibility, agility. Standardization and scale is another, you know, so when you do something, standardize it and scale it across the board. Um, you know, that's another. So good example is we used to organize where our a lot of our functions were site-based. And we still have some remnant of that. But what we have is we have people managing across the enterprise more frequently. So they'll take something that works scale it, standardize it across the entire enterprise so that the entire enterprise has that capability as opposed to a site. Right. So that gets to the question of what, what should a hospital look for when it comes to this, right? The tools, the technology, the change management. What is the lesson that you take away from this, right? I'm, what I'm hearing is obviously be able to move, but be flexible. But what would you tell a hospital system today? Like coming out of this, what do you need to do with your supply chain, with your processes, to, to meet these new demands, these new challenges of volatility? I think, I think it goes back to the comments we made about what did you learn from COVID? You know, you know, I think we were kind of burying our head a bit, thinking the problem would, you know, some of the current problems we had prior to COVID were going to go away. And what COVID opened our eyes to is problems aren't going away. And so I think you really need to seek to solve uh, and then sustain and so, you know, now, you know, we're looking at these problems and saying, okay, you know, how do we solve this problem? You know, and, and I told you, you know, two methods is, you know, we've redeployed our, our critical inventory so that we always were holding critical, critical inventory. And that changes all the time. The definition of critical changes all the time. Um, so we're constantly rotating products through our, our critical inventory. And I talked about sustaining that group as an organizational function, that that's all they do now is um, instead of 
assembling and reassembling you know of a team that that's they they handle these exceptions so i think i think that's probably lesson number one is you know you know don't bury your head you know a lot of these problems aren't going to go away so let's just step up to the plate and figure out how to solve them and then the second thing i would say is you know you know don't go it alone you know seek partners um, work more in an ecosystem I, I like i like the thought of an ecosystem you know where you have a lot of partnerships and you think of that you need these things before you know <laughs> before you're really ready to put them into action you know thankfully you know we were already you know doing some of this stuff and had some partnerships in place so that we had a lot of friends you know whenever we had issues and um you know some of these problems are just too big and and sometimes you know when you're relatively small and you're trying to do everything yourself you kind of skim the surface so you do a lot of things but you don't do a lot of things great you know when when you can partner you could start partnering with um and bringing scale to your supply chain and allow you to go you know not just broad but also deep and 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 i think that's invaluable so you know and figuring out where you want to go deep and where you're going to lean on a partner to go deep but I don't think you're going to get by by just skimming the surface. And, you know, scale solves a lot of problems. Um, you know, it's hard to beat scale. Um, and so that, that, that would be the other piece of it. You know, problems aren't going to go away. Seek to solve, but don't try to solve them all your, on your own. Yeah, I think that's, that's really good advice. Well, I'll add, I'll add one more lesson to that, Joe. Uh, you said it earlier, boring is good, right? The most exciting thing for supply chain practitioners is when nothing exciting happens. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it, it's a good point. I mean, you know, we always talk about, you know, with the ideal supply chain is an invisible one. You know, you don't want to see it um, because that usually means something's not working. That's a great point to leave things off, Joe. Uh, Guy and Joe, thank you so much for your insights today and for taking the time to share your knowledge with the Great Supply Chain Podcast listeners. I'm looking forward to what else you have in store for your ProMat seminar later this month. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, Joe. And to everyone else, thank you for tuning in. We hope this episode was informative and inspiring, and we hope that you'll join us for the next one. Until then, I'm Adam Polkham, and this has been the Great Supply Chain Podcast. Well, that's it for this episode, folks. I hope our guests sparked some new ideas and inspired you to push the boundaries of supply chain. New podcasts will be published on the first of every month. In the meantime, please reach out with your thoughts or questions or even an idea for a future episode. You can email us at texaspodcast at texas.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified as soon as a new episode goes live. And please share it with a colleague and leave a review. Until then, this has been the Great Supply Chain Podcast. I'm Adam Polka, and thank you for tuning in.